Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Love that sound. This is a good one. All right, everybody, welcome to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I am Dale Luganville. Thank you very much for joining me. Coming up in this weekend's recap and rant, it was a fun and very cold weekend. Uh, before I get to that, quick commercial for myself. <laughs> um, quickly, it's coming up quickly. We are weeks away. Actually, it's going on right now. They're smashing snow geese down in uh, Arkansas right now. That was This last weekend was a very good weekend for snow goose hunters. Um, figures the, the year I don't go down there in February. It's the smash fest. Smash fest. But uh, anyways, I will be going um, shortly. Uh, first week, I believe, in March, I head out to South Dakota to guide with Premier Flight Outfitters. So I know they're booking up fast. Honestly, I haven't even talked to Dean if there even is availabilities, but give him a call and see if he's got some availabilities. Tell him you want to come hunt with me, and uh, let's share some field time and shoot some snow geese. It'll be fun. All right, there's my commercial. Uh, weekend recap and rant. So was it Friday or Thursday? I don't remember which of those days I had. I think it was Friday. Or actually went scouting uh, for Minnesota made event. I didn't think, I originally didn't think I was going to have any time to scout this lake. Um, but as it turned out, I did last weekend, or the weekend before last. Um, worked out pretty good. I had some time to do some camera work and to fish around and we had put together what i thought was a pretty good game plan we found some better than average crappies we found some real good bluegills i mean real good when i was scouting i think it was it was either last thursday or friday i think it was thursday i found um oh man i saw this one pumpkin seed sunfish that just about brought me to my knees this thing was an absolute giant um so we were, I went in feeling pretty, this weekend feeling pretty confident. Now, um, there's, couldn't scout on Saturday, and I'm totally cool with that because we had the Hometown Hero Outdoors event, second annual Hometown Hero Outdoors event uh, on the same lake. For those of you that aren't familiar, um, so we have, oh man, how many teams was it? No, I got to pull this up. We had 25 teams. Um, comprised of uh, HHO members, so veterans, active military, law enforcement personnel, 
and then 25 volunteers from Minnesota Main Outdoors guide those. We, we don't fish. We just guide them. We help them drill their holes. We, we help them out. We move shacks around, do, do whatever they need. And, um, you know, give them some advice, kind of coach them through. Um, and skill range as far as fishing and experience range with this group of people is very wide and varied. I mean, some, some guys are, are avid outdoorsmen, outdoors people, and some aren't. So, um, and you know, everywhere in between. So it's the guide part is kind of, is kind of cool. And it's a way for Minnesota made to give back to the community and super proud of it. Last year was a smashing success. It was so much fun. Um, as soon as it ended last year, I was looking forward to this year. And, uh, so time had come we did it. The only unfortunate thing is, is it got super cold. The weather last year was so, so much better. Everybody was just out and about. I took my coat off. There's a picture of that floating around the internets. Um, it was, uh, a ton of fun. So this year we were shacked up for the most part, but there were a few hardcores that were out there hopping around and uh, trying to stay on, stay on the bite, stay on the fish and stuff. So it was a, it was a ton of fun. I had the pleasure of here. I got to find this list here because I'm so bad with names. Uh, Jerry Johnson and Douglas Priest is who I had, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, Doug. Actually, he so he knows what he's doing. He's a good fisherman. He he I think said that he fished the uh, trap attacks way back in the day with Gens. Uh, he's he's known Lanky for a long time. Um, so he he knew what he was doing, and he was he was the anchor for the team for sure. He put most of our fish in the bucket. We weren't able to get a full limit that day. We were too shy of our limit, um, but we tried. You know, my my guys just weren't quite able to, to get around and uh or weren't willing and i'm not saying that's a bad thing it's just it is what it is we weren't able to kind of move around as much as we want we still moved around quite a bit and uh thanks to my um good friend mike beaglebach who is he works for the badness heights minnesota fire department came out just uh kind of last minute to help out volunteers time and it was great so uh, i got a little guide helper if you will and um it uh really helped because the portables we were using portable ice houses were the hub style and while they're portable to and from your car to the lake when you need to move one it's a little tricky especially when there's wind so it was pretty nice for the two of us to be able to bring this up and move it to another spot and so while while um jerry was in the house staying warm and then uh, doug had his own little flip over and so i would be outside drilling holes and and checking around with electronics and and finding that uh finding a school of fish and then i'd find a school of fish i'm like all right let's move over here and you know i did the best i could to try to keep us on fish and it was a it was a tough bite but we we found some caught a lot of fish and then of course in between it's just all the camaraderie and talking to other team members and minnesota main members and volunteers and in the face of the hard conditions and the elements like all you heard was laughs loud talking smiles everywhere it was pretty impressive the prize list this year was what did they just list i think we had about thirteen thousand dollars in prizes that were given away um and then some additional cash donations to hho after the fact so i really want to say a huge thank you to all the sponsors of that event and there's i don't have the list in front of me there's far too many to list but if you go to the minnesota made outdoors page on facebook and kind of just go through some of those scrolls they've made some really good posts recent recently and they list all the sponsors and and uh, donors and stuff and give all those people some love because they really stepped up this year and embrace this event and i hope to see this event continue to grow and i really think it is um because as we're trying to thank and give back to the vets and active military and law enforcement personnel and 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 hometown heroes organization as a whole that 
gratitude was definitely reciprocated and you get in one of those moments where like they thank you from the bottom of their heart and then you're like no thank you and they're like no thank you and you know that whole that whole kind of thing but um it's such a special event and it is so fulfilling and it really is the highlight of like you know I'll, I'll throw it into the tournament season because if it wasn't for Minnesota made um I wouldn't be a part of this this event so uh, I'm thankful to both Minnesota made I'm thankful to HHO um they have an amazing organization and uh, just really proud to be a part of it and uh to give back it's it's very 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 rewarding and I would not miss it for the world if if somehow down the road I don't even know what I don't even like to go down this road, but let's say I'm not in the league for uh, who knows, for whatever reason. I'm pretty sure if I had to fly back to Minnesota to be a part of this event, I would. I would do everything humanly possible to be a part of this event. So, And also, everybody, just go follow Minnesota Made Outdoors on social media. Go follow Hometown Heroes Outdoors on social media if you haven't already. And just stay up to date on the good things that they're doing. And then, you know come on out next year or if you have an organization or a business and you'd like to help and you'd like to add to that for next year do it i mean it's there there's a lot of there's a lot of good organizations out there to choose from this one is awesome because it it gives back and it, it gets hho gets those men and women who have sacrificed it gives them an opportunity to get outdoors, fishing, hunting. I think they do golfing. I mean, it's not just always hunting and fishing, but it gets them in the outdoors and gives them that sense of community. I, I'm I'm just rambling. Sorry. It's just I really respect the organization. I love the organization, and I'm very honored to help out in any way that I possibly can. So that was Saturday. And uh, so congratulations to the number one team. They were coached by none other than the champ one of one half of the championship team of last year and looks like they're probably going to win team of the year again this year Leif Narison he was uh, he had Ross Gunderson and Terry Bryant and they came in with the number one spot so congratulations to them for that great job gentlemen that was uh that was so much fun and then um so I went to the bar after that could I probably could have taken that time and probably in hindsight should have should have taken that time to go check some of my spots and see if our fish were there still there. I just assumed they would be, um, and that's where the wheels fall off. So Sunday morning rolls around. It's cold. It's like 22 below zero when I leave my house in uh, Stacy, Minnesota, and we're fishing West Rush Lake which is just north of me, about, oh, I don't know, 20 miles or so. As I'm traveling north, I continue to watch the temperature tick down and down. The coldest I saw as I was getting to the lake was on my truck. I mean, it's not exactly an official uh, meteorological recording device, but 25 below zero, actual temperature and there was a breeze <laughs> so i don't even know what the windshield was i don't want to know what the windshield was it was cold we had a number of teams decide safety wise they were going to sit this one out and uh, no shame uh, to them do what you got to do probably is the smart move i'm too much of a moron I'm too competitive to do that, so I continued to go out there. Um, got everything unloaded, getting ready. The four-wheeler started. That is like victory number one because there were multiple peoples where their, their equipment did not start. Uh, and then kind of last minute, they Jake with Minnesota Main Outdoors kind of made a, made a judgment call and said, hey, because people's machines aren't starting and this, that, and the other thing, and it's really cold. Um, you can fish out of your vehicle if you'd like, because for those not in Minnesota or from the upper Midwest, we have well over 14 inches of ice out there, which is safe for vehicle travel, so don't freak out. Um, but yeah, I was like, well, 
if I'd have known that, that would have been nice to just keep everything packed in the truck. But I was like, I'm already loaded up. Wheeler's starting. I'm dressed to be outside. Um, let's roll. And so that's what I was I was gonna do. And um, I gotta I gotta say, man, outdoor clothing has come a long, 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 long way. As cold as it was, I was fine. I mean, I'm covered head to toe. Had a baklava on. Had goggles. Um, I was layered up. And the only time I really got cold, my hands got cold, were, was like driving the four-wheeler from point A to point B. I suppose just gripping the handlebars, you know, it just like squeezes the blood out of your your hands. Or I don't, I don't know what the science is behind it, but then my hands would get cold. But as soon as I got there, it kind of warm them up to the spot. And uh, that that seemed to be... Uh, that's that seemed to be the ticket. So the only time, and I had, I brought a little flip over. I have a little one-man Frable Recon, which is a super old one-man, and I either need to replace the windows in it, or I should probably just get a new flip over because that thing is. When I flipped it over, one of the plastic windows was all ripped up and tore open. So that you know, oh, at least I wasn't gonna die of carbon monoxide poisoning when I fired up the heater because I had a pretty good breeze coming through there. Uh, it actually wasn't bad at all. But I only used that for like the last hour of the day. So let's get to the day. Conditions notwithstanding, it's a very cold ride to uh, our first spot, which we had camered up some really good crappies, better than average. It was off the main basin. It was away from where we felt other teams were going to be fishing. Kind of thought we had a little pot of fish to ourselves. And we get there and we start drilling it out. And it quickly becomes apparent our fish aren't here anymore. We're marking some, and if you're not getting them to bite, and finally get them to bite, and they're not even crappies, they're bluegills, which is fine. We need bluegills in our bag too, but they weren't exactly giants, um, but they were keeper fish. So it's what you know, a fish is a fish, right? Into the cooler they go. Um, but they weren't. We probably stuck it out in that spot too long, and finally we're like. Uh, this isn't working. We got to bail on this. This plan is is not is not working. So at least we didn't have to go too far. We slowed over to the main basin in this this part of the lake, and took a while. I mean, we just had to stay on fish. Like they were moving around so much. There was already a couple other teams there, and they were moving around. And these fish are just on the move. If you could get down to them, they would bite. And uh, so we slowly we start filling our crappie bag, and then. I mean, there's so many holes, holes that we have drilled, holes that other teams have drilled, and we're all kind of just cycling through. Everybody's fishing each other's, you know, holes. And then kind of finally stumbled on, like, the pressure's pushing them out. So we just, then it came a point to drill where you don't see a hole, fresh snow, like just drill a series of holes. And then we started getting on fresh schools and getting more bites. And I don't know, we struggled. It was, I had missed like four fish. So that wasn't helping, but it took us way longer than I wanted it to to get our crappie bag before we could move on to our bluegills. And they weren't great crappies um, by any. They weren't. I don't even think they were like lake average. We were probably had a couple in there that were what we would have wanted our bottom ones to be. Um, but at this point, you know, we're already a couple hours into it, not three hours into the day. Like we got to go. So we hop back on the wheelers, and it's time to take off all the way to the other end of the lake. And I mean all the way. Our two main spots were almost the extreme southern part of the lake and the extreme northern part of the lake. In fact, when we were pre-fishing, we clocked it, and it was three miles. Hair over three miles from point A to point B. And three miles and 25 below (laughs) temperatures is a chilly ride. Now, I'm not sure... If it because it was sunny and windy and cold, I'm not sure if it was sunburn, windburn, or slight frostbite or frostburn or whatever you want to call it. But I noticed just last night on tip of my nose, I was like, "What's that dark spot?" And I look at it, and this is dead skin. And it's like, "Oh, that's that's nice." So I'm not sure what it is. Could have been a combination of all three. I don't know, but I lost a layer of skin on my nose. Whatever, I, th- I think I will survive. I hope. Anyways, so we get all the way up there, and the plan was to just, you know, drill out and then drop the camera down. And uh, we knew there was another team, Chris and Tim, that had fallen the same spots 
uh, the same fish, and we expected to find them there. And when I started getting an uneasy feeling when we were driving up the spot and I didn't see a team up there, I was like, why aren't they there? Because they left the crappie spot way before we did. This isn't good. So we get up to a spot. I start. At first, I'm like, well, let's just check with the camera auger because then, you know, it's just a three-inch auger, drills holes through the ice super fast, doesn't chew up precious battery power from when we actually have to drill fishable holes. So I said, let's just do that. Let's drop the camera, make sure our fish are still here. Well, my camera kept shutting off because it was so cold. Joel's camera... I don't know what was going on. I'm guessing because of the cold, but like it was all washed out. Like the image was like super white. I could see what was immediately in front of the camera. So I dropped the camera down and in the weeds and there would be like, a, you know, a weed right there. I could see that, but everything behind that weed was like trying to find a polar bear in a snowstorm. Like it was, you couldn't see anything. It was just, it was just washed out. So I'm like, well, this is pointless. Um, so I'm like, we just need to drill it out and fish it. So we we made a big oval drill along this area that we were fishing, and we started marking fish. Couldn't get them to bite. Plus, weren't just marking one and two big marks. We were marking multiple little ones. That was telling me that it was either little tiny perch or little tiny gills. Because when we checked that spot, if you went in too shallow, what you would find and actually get into what you would think would be better weeds, but it was nothing but a nursery in there, just tiny, like one-inch little crappie and bluegill fry in there. And I think those slid out. Um, bottom line is those big bluegills that we had planned on, hole hopping and just dropping the camera, finding the fish you want, catching those fish, and just doing that all day long, that plan, right out the window, gone. Well... Now what? <laughs> we had, um, so logic would dictate, I'm like, well, where would these fish go? They must have pushed out because of the extreme cold because we were fishing in relatively shallow water, like seven feet. I guess I never really thought about it, but apparently that extreme of a temperature change or pressure or both, well, I mean bar- barometric pressure, not like fishing pressure, must have pushed those fish into deeper water. Now, the spot isn't really that close to deep water. This lake has like 30, 30 plus feet deep basin holes. That's deep water. Well, there wasn't any of that anywhere near. I refuse to believe that these fish travel two miles to get to deeper water. But there is kind of like a smaller basin, I don't know, 300 yards from there maybe. Um, I guess maybe they would have moved off of that, but how do you even go about finding it, um, finding those fish. I mean, you would have had to, again, it would have been a risk. Maybe we would have found it out if we would have drilled out that basin, got lucky, but it also could have panned out where we wasted our battery, didn't find anything, and now we can't even really effectively go to another place because we don't have any batteries to drill any more holes with. Well, we decided I had a backup plan that was actually pretty close to where we had all the HHO guys fishing, um, where I had found, actually found it pre-fishing or scouting, I'll say, in the fall, late fall, before winter rolled around and it froze. I was out there scanning around with my boat, and I found this nice little pot of, of gills. And, and there actually were some decent gills in there when I pre-fished it, kind of like an eight and a quarter. And then um, Doug, my veteran that I had on my team, he was out fishing the Friday before. That's right, it was Friday. Now, now I remember because he was out there. Uh, and he was fishing the spot, and he wasn't really getting stuff. He was just out there fishing for fun. So I went and I checked my pin, dropped the camera down there. There was a bunch of fish around. I'm like, yeah, you know, I got fish over here if you want to just catch them because I wasn't planning on fishing that spot on tournament day. That was kind of a break glass in case of an emergency spot. So I sent him over there and then continued to go pre-fish or whatever. And talking to him on Saturday, he's like, you know, when I first got there, I, was, I couldn't get anything to bite. And when I did, they were tiny. He said, then about 10 minutes later, I started catching fish, like good ones, like eight and a half. So I caught a couple nines. He said he caught a 10 and a quarter inch gill. Are you kidding me? That would have for sure taken big bluegill in the event. But I knew there was some decent fish in that area. So with that in the back of our mind, time running out, that's pretty much our option. Well, let's go there. Right out the day, we'll get our blue gear. I know we'll get a bag there at least, and hopefully some of them better ones will roll through. And so cold ride, 
halfway back across the lake. At least it wasn't all the way across the lake, so probably about a mile and a half. Um, very cold ride. We get there, drill some holes, find fish right away. That was good. At least we didn't have to drill that many holes. And uh, then I actually used my the flip over because I'm like, well, there's no reason to move around here. I had fish the whole time. Joel had to move around a little bit. He he was struggling finding fish. For whatever reason, the, the where I plopped down, I must have just hit the spot on the spot because I always had fish on my screen. I, I never, never once did I not, was I not working a fish. And so we were able to get our bag, made some small upgrades in it. Um, our crappies are what they were and our gills are what they were. I knew we didn't have a great bag. Conditions were tough. I was hoping like, well, maybe it'll play, but I doubt it. Um, but we had a bag at that point when our, our, both of our main spots just went to shit. It was a scramble. So just getting, I'm not even like super mad at it. Like, what are you going to do? I mean, at that point, you just got to make adjustments and hope they pan out. And I was pretty satisfied to just go to the weigh-ins with a full bag and uh, see what other people have. So we head back to the weigh-in. Fortunately, it's close, relatively close to the landing, so we didn't have another super cold ride. Uh, but we get there, and um, I was surprised as, as fish start coming in most people had full bags i was a little bit surprised because of the the weather conditions but um everybody seemed to find fish where they needed to was it the ones they wanted most people said no that i was hearing the same thing from multiple teams all our fish moved all our fish are gone all our fish are gone we had to go to plan b c d e and f you know um but what it seemed like and this is my learning moment here hindsight with that cold snap, it seems like the people that were planning on fishing basin fish out of the gate anyways, their plans didn't really change much. And I guess it makes sense. You're in deeper water. It's going to feel the pressure change. It's going to feel the temperature change much less than the shallow fish that we were dealing with. What are you going to do? You know, I mean, I guess, I guess you have to account for that in the future i will you know it'll be it'll, it'll be look at the forecast and again going back to saturday after the hho event i guess i probably before i ran to the bar i should have taken a quick hour and just and, and just milk run to my spots and uh just to see because if i didn't if i wouldn't have found if i had dropped cameras and not found the fish that we wanted for sunday probably would have had to come up with a, a quick new game plan because they just weren't there. And I did hear from a couple teams that did scout their stuff on Saturday. Um, they weren't part of the HHO event that their fish had gone. And so they they made a change, and that helped them get a better overall bag. So, you know, what, what, what are you going to do? <laughs> so that was that. Uh, we weighed in. Uh, in weighing in. I was like, it came up, like, really small. And I was like, well, I know we didn't have that great of a bag, but I thought it was slightly better than that somehow. So we got this giant cooler live well system that works really good. Even in 25 below zero temperatures, there was no ice in our coolers, and our fish were still swimming around um, ready to go for weigh-in. So I am a firm believer in the cooler thing versus keeping fish in the bucket. If we ever caught fish that mattered, <laughs> it might give us that edge, you know, from second to first or fourth to third or, you know, whatever. As I think healthier fish are going to weigh more, um, less stress on them. Pretty sure about that. We're going to we're gonna test a theory here while we're pre-fishing for the next event, uh, which the last event, which is on Cross Lake. I'm going to take a bucket out just like you would, fill it with ice water or, you know, lake surface, call it hold just like you would tournament day. And then I'm going to take my cooler and either use tap water, which is what I did this last time just because it was so cold. I wasn't sure if the little pump system I made up was going to work. Or I'll use my pump system, which will drop warmer water from deeper down and go that route. I'm going to like catch five fish, weigh those fish, put them in the five-gallon bucket. I'm going to catch five, weigh those fish, put them in the cooler, fish the entire day, weigh them again at the end of the day, and subtract any loss and then find the percentage just to see maybe there isn't a change i'm pretty sure there's going to be a change and then it's just going to be a matter of like 
How big of a change is it? Is it worth? But you know what? It's really not. It is worth it because this really isn't that much extra work. It's just instead of hauling buckets around, you haul a cooler. And some guys already do have a cooler, but they have smaller ones. I went big. I <laughs> had a big, giant, like, three-foot cooler. But but the more water in there, the better it retains its temperature. And also the more available oxygen, like, all of it. So I got a back rack for my four-wheeler. It's not in the way of anything, so it's really... It's actually pretty convenient. Anyways, <laughs> weighed my fish. It was small. I was like, wow, that sucks. I bring my bucket back to dump it into the cooler, pick up, lift the cooler lid, and I see a crappie swimming around in there. Somehow, I didn't grab all of our fish and put them in the bucket. I don't know how you miss that. Somehow, I did. I was in a hurry, I suppose. So anyways, I grab that fish. I do a quick recount and make sure I just didn't overcount. And uh, nope, sure enough, I only I only weighed in seven crappies and seven gills. And when you have a full bag, you get that bonus fish. So it's eight crappies, seven gills. So quick count, recount, 15 fish. I go back up to Paul and Jake. I'm like, so I missed a fish in my bag. I thought it was a little light. So they let me reweigh. Didn't really do much. Brought it up. Didn't even get us above six pounds. We got right there at uh, 5.91. And um, so that that was good enough for 14th place. But but 14th place is the last prize spot off the prize table. So that additional crappie did make a difference. <laughs> so anyways, that was that. So... You know, first event we took 17th, and I was, you know, all pissy. If you guys are listening, uh, following along, I was not in a good mood. Just beating myself up. But on this one, man, I, I honestly was satisfied to just get a bag when our whole plan went to shit. So not too mad at that. Um, would I have liked to do better? Uh, yeah, obviously, of course. There's things we could have done differently. We could have bailed on our first spot sooner maybe stuck it out longer in the crappie spot and tried to upgrade to some better crappies. Um, you know, taking some cues, thinking that, you know, should have learned. Sure, in hindsight, there's things we could have done differently. But in the action, in the moment, I, I'm okay with the decisions that we made. We got our bag. It just wasn't a great bag. You know, it is what it is. It just it's not our year this year. I mean, that's, I feel like if this was football and team full scale was the Vikings, we would be calling it a rebuilding year and all the fans would probably be calling uh, for me to be fired and traded to another team. But <laughs> thankfully that's not the case, uh, seeing as there's only two of us um, and I don't want to trade my partner out. I think we're we're doing as good as we can this this year. It's just not we're we're not zigging when we should be zagging, and I think you know every team probably goes through that. So I'm, I'm trying to have a good attitude about it. Uh, trying to learn, still still trying to learn this this thing about extreme temperature drops and moving fish. I'm gonna I'm going to keep this. Uh, that's gonna be in the old tool pouch there, and. Uh, I want to check it off to the fact that like Monday yesterday I was like is it weird I kind of want to go back to the lake and see check the shells where our fish were see if they've moved back in it didn't warm up that much but it did warm up I mean it moved 20 degrees it was 25 below zero to start the tournament day and I think yesterday had a high of right around zero or something so I mean it's still a 20 degree change did those fish move back up or if they didn't if I didn't find them there then with no pressure and if I run out of batteries, I run out of batteries, but it would have been kind of fun, interesting, might be a better word, to drill out that nearby shallower basin to see if those fish did push off. Because then you would have actually learned something. Like, okay, if this happens, sometimes at least, maybe not always, but sometimes they push out to deeper water, look for that first break, look for that first whatever, figure out where they go in those kind of conditions. So if I ever face in the future, we can go off of that knowledge i did not do that however um so it's still going to be a, a what if kind of a thing but i will definitely keep that in my mind as far as needing to 
you know, pre-fish scout up to the last available moment uh, just to make sure your plant is there. And I know that's even that's not a guarantee. I, I know plenty of people on certain lakes, like I think Clearwater's notorious for it. Wherever you find your fish the day before is no guarantee they're going to be there the next day. So, anyways, that's what we did. Um, Nick and Leif still doing well. They came in second. Um, Tony and Kyle did great. Tony Dahlberg, Tone, the real Tone D. They came in in third place. So congratulations to them. That's one of their best finishes in a while. And then uh, Jacob and Daryl, Jacob Solquist and Daryl Thole, they came in in first place with uh, respectively decent bag for that lake, 7.67. Good job, guys. Congratulations. They were they put in the work. Every time I was out there, I saw them. They they were covering water. They were scouting pre-fishing fools. So hats off to them. Good job, boys. Um, you did <clears throat> you did very well. So there it is. There's your recap uh, coming up in the future. Uh, this weekend I'll be in warmer climes. I had to do South Carolina. I uh, will get some fishing in. It's not really a, a fishing trip, but um, I will get some fishing in. So I will have something to report next week. And uh, I'm sure there'll always be something to rant about. I can always check in with Joel and and the and the guys and see what what they were doing um, to give everybody kind of a um, you know an update for next week's recap recap and rant. Easy for you to say. All right, for my rant, um, I'm gonna call out a, a, a Facebook page that I'm member of, follower of. This Minnesota naturalist page, Facebook page, as one might guess uh, from the title of it, there's a lot of, it's not always a hunting, fishing friendly um, page. (laughs) A lot of bird lovers, a lot of animal lovers, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I do have a couple things I need to get off my chest about this site. So I posted on there, and clearly it didn't make it past the uh, moderators. And it was simply a post about, and I took it, an article from, I think, like Outdoor Magazine or some other publication like that. So it wasn't a hunting and fishing publication. But it talked about the proposed tax, and this has been talked about for this isn't really anything new, but a tax on hiking, camping, backpacking, mountain biking equipment to go back into the resource, much like hunters and fishermen do when they buy ammo, guns, fishing poles, rods, and you know, tackle. All that stuff. You have two separate acts. You have the um, Pittman-Robertson Act, and you have the Dingle-Johnson Act. They both do the same thing. The numbers are slightly different as far as percentage percentages go or for the taxes. Um, but they give back. I mean, th- that goes back into lands, um, which helps all sorts of game and, of course, non-game animals. And it's, th- those things have been in place for decades um, so great things, voluntary tax. Um, it's, it was an idea brought up by those sportsmen and widely accepted by those sportsmen. Um, that's, I, I'm not generally a fan of, of imposing taxes on other people. Um, but it becomes a user tax, right? It, it's like, we're all for it. So let's do it. It's way different than somebody taking money out of your pocket that you don't want taken out for, some cause you're not interested in, right? Somebody else deems like, well, we need money for this. Give me some money. No, dude, no. But this isn't the case. As a hunter, as a fisherman, I am totally okay with paying a little bit extra uh, for my goods and services to go back into the thing that I am passionate about. So that seems to make sense. So I found this article online that talked about it, and it's like, should we be paying our fair share, blah, 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 blah. And they go all the way into it. And then I just proposed it to the Minnesota Naturalist Group if what their thoughts were about it. And 
Maybe I should have left my little side comment off on the bottom of my thing. But it wasn't even, I don't think it was that bad. I just put in there that the hunters and the fishermen have been doing, you know, their part. And I did point out, I'm like, I'm not a fan. I said, I said just what I said to you. I said, I don't want to tax people involuntarily. Would would those people that are interested in backpacking, mountain biking, all that, would you be willing, would you be for a self-imposed tax on those goods and services? And then at the very end, I said, and so keep this in mind, as a lot of people on this page are not, are generally not, you know, pro hunting or pro shooting sports or whatever, keep that in mind in other debates, um, you know, where the wild money for the wild places is coming from these things that you're bashing helping out your songbirds you love so much and you know i said something along those lines i don't think i was being snarky maybe it came across as snarky i'll never know because it's not on the page they didn't even it didn't make it through the filters which is really irritating because they try to come off as they are um inclusive to hunters and anglers but this proves that they're just really not i mean it they're they're just they're just not and i don't know what i don't know how else to put it they're just not and uh, one of the other things i've been on there debating with there is an article from the star tribune about bird deaths are fueling a push for a minnesota led tackle ban this isn't really anything new either even ammo bans. Um, but as I talk, as I record this, I'm looking out my window in my backyard right now, and there is a bald eagle. Literally, there is a bald eagle in my backyard. Um, the fish that I'd clean, I just dumped my carcasses in my uh, garden for fertilizer purposes, and the crows have been eating it. But now there's a bald eagle, beautiful adult, white-headed bald eagle, uh, in my yard, which is pretty cool. Their numbers are great. So, like, my point is, I made a couple points about about this proposed lead ban. It's probably a good thing, but I just don't want to go willy-nilly into it. Is the overall cost worth it? Um, you know, the lead alternatives generally have a higher cost. You know, if you think tungsten. Every angler knows how much more tungsten jig is than a lead jig. Plus, it doesn't have the same characteristics. Tungsten isn't malleable like lead is. You can't just pinch it down, take it off like a split shot um, does. And there, also, you still have to mine that stuff. So I looked into, like, I, I did a little bit of research. I looked into the tin. I looked into... Um, tungsten and then bismuth is like the only thing that's remotely close where it's heavy and dense and it's malleable again it's much more expensive than lead um and also how you get so what the other thing i looked at is like the toxicity of those heavy metals but not just that but like the environmental impacts of how you mine and get those heavy metals that's where you start running into problems with tin and that's where you start running into problems with um, tungsten is that the the mining practices of where they get that stuff. And a lot of the stuff is coming from overseas. This is not domestically mined stuff where we have um, stringent rules and environmental safeguards in place. This, this shit's coming from China. And I don't think we need to remind anybody how crappy China is about the environment. They do it as cheap as humanly possible. And uh, we promote it by buying that stuff. So there's no such thing as a free lunch environmentally with anything, whether it's energy or these heavy metals. It always comes with a cost. So the one that seems to be green, in air quotes, is bismuth. But I found out, I learned something in my research. Bismuth, while seems to have little to no toxicity in humans or animals, there's still some long-term, you know, studies that need to, to go on. But as far as comparatively to lead and, and other things, it has very low toxicity. However, it's a pretty rare element in the earth. It's not readily available. It's even more rare in its 
as just bismuth, like digging into the ground and finding a vein of bismuth is doesn't really happen. Bismuth is a byproduct of the production of lead. So even though it might seem like the green alternative, you still can't even get it unless you are mining and processing the not environmentally friendly heavy metal of lead. So if you stop lead altogether, you're basically stopping bismuth and now you're it's just you're going to drive prices up even more. It's going to become even more rare. It's a supply and demand chain, right? Um, so that my point is like I'm not necessarily against finding a clean alternative to lead. My point being, is it worth it? Is the price worth it? Is that even with some waterfall still dying from lead exposure, whether it's swans, ducks, loons from eating tackle or spent shot, which we don't even use lead shot anymore, but I'm sure it's still around in the lakes from the 80s when we did shoot lead in the 70s and 60s and whatever else. Um, Lead fragment bullets have been in the news as far as um, eagles dying from lead poisoning because they ate, you know, they're picking on a carcass of a deer that a hunter shot or a gut pile and had some lead fragments in it. Point being, swan populations are way up. Eagle populations are way up. All these bird species populations are on the on the rise. They are doing very well. Is it really that big of a risk that we need to change an entire industry? I guess just that, that we need to change an entire industry. And maybe the answer is still yes, but you need to at least look at the other factors. Again, there's no such thing as a free lunch. We're not getting, just because bismuth seems like, even though it's expensive, maybe we, as anglers and hunters, we eat that cost because that's what we need to do to have a better world. Sure, that might be, on the surface, might seem to make the most sense. But in that, in mining the tin and getting the mining the tungsten and getting the bismuth from lead production, what is the overall environmental impact of that? We might not see it here in the States or in Minnesota, in your neck of the woods. Maybe your population of swans are doing great. But for them to do great means that you are poisoning a watershed somewhere around the world that is having a huge impact on their local wildlife their local fauna, and their local people through contaminated groundwater. Like, there's a lot of nuance here. There's a big picture that needs to be looked at. It's just not as free and easy and clear as let's ban lead tackle. Uh, Maybe that is ultimately what we need to do, but I think we need to look at the overall picture and then somebody made a comment. They're like, no, I get what you're saying about the big picture, but we need to ban it to give incentive to companies to um, innovate and find better ways. That seems like a really shitty thing to do. Like, that seems very unscientific. If anything, if you're so prone to the government taking this role, how about a financial incentive to find, you know, nothing? I mean, that's basically what you're doing when you're banning something. Once it's banned, well, now you have forced an industry to adapt and change and find a better way to continue to make money. Well, instead of doing that, how about you offer them financial incentive, a positive financial incentive? Give them a time frame. Here's where we'd like to see, you know, like if you can do this, you'll get this bonus, you know, or whatever. Come up with with something like that because the outright ban, you know, I see what they're saying. It's not like it goes into effect tomorrow. They usually do put some sort of, of you know expiration date on it. Like by this year, you'll no longer be able to sell. So you have five years to change your entire business model. But I feel like it would be better. You'd actually probably come about it faster if you threw money at it in the right way and said, all right, we're going to award X amount of dollars to the first company that comes up with a viable, clean solution to the sled problem. And then you're going to have companies vying. They're, they're going to be scrambling to be the people because only one only one company is going to get this 
dollar amount, like a sweepstakes. <laughs> throw the throw a big carrot out there. They'll all chase it. I promise you. And then then in that'll be the new product, and then everybody will take that new technology and run with it. So that's my opinion in my uh, recliner science, <laughs> if I may. Monday morning quarterbacking on Tuesday. Yeah, so that's what I got. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget, uh, like I said, to start this broadcast, spring snow goose season is going on right now in Arkansas. They had an amazing weekend. They're smashing birds down there. So go ahead and give Premier Flight a call if you want to get away to some, you know, it's 20 below zero here. I'm sure it's not exactly summer in Arkansas, but I guarantee you it's warmer than here. Head down there, take a break, shoot some geese. But if you'd like to wait a little bit, you still got some ice fishing in you. You know, the walleye season closes in February anyways. Why not come to South Dakota? Come hunting with me. It's a lot closer. It's only a four-hour drive from the Twin Cities. Let's go. Call Dean, Premier Flight Outfitters. Find a date that works. Take some days off. Whatever you got to do, tell me you want to come hunt with me. Let's go hunt some snow geese. It's going to be awesome. Snow geese are delicious, by the way. Um, I like, don't, don't get me wrong, I like pretty much all waterfall. I like honkers, but snow geese taste way better than honkers. They just do, bottom line. The the sky carp nickname, not fair. It's not fair at all. It's uh, totally wrong. It's People that say that just don't know what they're doing when it comes to cooking, <laughs> bottom line. So, yeah, give Dean Premier Flight a call. Come hunt with me. Um, be awesome i'd like to inter- interact with some of uh my subscribers and listeners and be fun all right let's do it that's all i got for you uh stay tuned to the podcast this week i'll be dropping uh, michael thompson mt as he is known in the ice fishing and kayak fishing world it's a very good uh, conversation you're gonna love it so that's coming out on uh, thursday stay tuned for that all yeah Let's go with that. All right, everybody. I'm out of here. Whatever your passion, pursue it full scale.